0: If you don't know who I am, my name is Kyle, and if you don't know where you are, this is Uplift, and I'm so glad that you were here. The message uh, tonight and all of our messages on Uplift are actually streamed on Sunday mornings for our Sunday morning Bible class called The Conversation. So if you're joining us online, so glad that you're here. Go ahead and log into the chat and say hi. I will tell you that through the various avenues that our messages put online and various content for both our Sunday morning Bible class, it's also put on our podcast uh, we get a lot of folks engaging in Uplift that aren't necessarily here, but they are certainly highly engaged. And I think you need to know that. It's, uh, uplift's a great thing, and I'm glad that you're here. You're committed to it. It's a good thing uh, for Wednesday nights and for the First Colony Church. So I just want to let you know that we are in a series here in Uplift called Meet Jesus. And the point of this message series is to be reintroduced to Jesus. It's, uh, it's okay to be reintroduced to Jesus. And tonight... We're going to talk about a love story. If that's okay with you. I love a good love story. You like a good love story, kinda? Yes. Calm down the enthusiasm, people. That's, I do. I like a good. I like a good love story. I think we all kind of like a good love story. And I'll tell you this: I'm particularly drawn to love stories that take years to resolve. I do. Now, look, I don't. I don't get a lot of pleasure in. And knowing that people have to wait through a lot of heartache for true love, but because I know that their pain, I know it's probably great, but to have resolution and acceptance after a long, long time, that's a great story to me. Uh, at least it is to me, it may not be to you, but I wanna introduce you tonight to a, a love story between two folks, Bob Harvey and Annette Atkins. Now, you may not know these folks, but their story was actually featured in the new york times a couple of years ago with this byline this was the this was the title of the story 63 years between kisses you're already there aren't you 63 years between kisses let me tell you about this story bob harvey first met annette atkins during study hall in 1955 in woodbridge Virginia. They were juniors in high school, and Bob was immediately smitten by Annette. Their relationship grew. They carved their initials in a seat in study hall. In fact, they ended up going to the junior prom together. Mr. Harvey told the New York Times, this is a quote, I couldn't take my eyes off of her. She had auburn hair and a stunningly beautiful face, and her eyes were just, wow. That's what he said about her. They danced together at their junior prom in 1956, but a few weeks later, summer came, and Annette had to leave to spend time with family. In fact, I've got a picture. This is a picture of Bob and Annette at this junior prom dancing. So while Annette was gone that summer, Bob called her often, and soon the long-distance phone bill uh, got really expensive well before the days of cell phones and unlimited data plans, so he had to sell his hunting rifle to pay for the long distance calls, but eventually all the, money, all the money ran out. And during that summer, Annette actually met someone else. She met the person, I know, you know where I'm going. She met, in fact, she met the guy that she would eventually marry. So when she returned to Woodbridge for her senior year, she, she met Bob. And she told Bob that she'd met someone else and she was trying to be polite. She didn't want to lead him on. And Bob was heartbroken, but he accepted it and he tried to move on. In fact, both of them, both Bob and Annette, married other people. They had families and they had careers, children, grandchildren, the highs and the lows of life. And what was really fascinating in the article is that Bob told the writer of the article, he loved his wife dearly. He he never... Uh, intimated that he did not love her. He loved her dearly, but he always carried a picture of Annette in his wallet throughout the entire time that he was married. Bob and Annette eventually lost their spouses, though, about seven or eight years ago. And after that, Bob was also diagnosed with bone marrow cancer. He had to make a choice of how he wanted to spend the rest of his life, and he decided that he wanted to see Annette again. So he started searching for her. At the same time, she was searching for him. She had no luck, but he found her and actually found her address through the funeral announcement of her husband. And from that funeral announcement, got her address and wrote to her. Put his phone number in there. And about seven or eight days later, Annette called him and invited him to drive from Woodbridge, Virginia. He'd lived there most of his life to Ohio to see her. So when he showed up on her doorstep, he gave her some flowers and he cupped her face in his hands 63 years later. And he said this, whether you like it or not, I'm going to kiss you. <laughs> they spent the day together. And before he left that day, they had one more dance together. And while they were dancing in their, in her kitchen, he said, I'm sure that your husband danced with you often through the years. And she responded to him. She said this, my husband didn't dance. In fact, the last person I danced with was you. In that picture right there. Two months later, they were married with most of their grandchildren in attendance. And here is their wedding photo. Beautiful story, but your heart aches just a little bit, right? Mine does. Because what, what you find out in a story like that is that, it's a, that true love had to wait to be experienced. That's a love that really didn't discount the years between, right? It didn't discount the marriages, the children, the grandchildren, and the careers, but it, it had to wait to be fully realized, which I think begs a, a pretty significant question and one that, that we're actually going to answer. Is it really love if it never had to wait? We're gonna answer that together with another love story and one that I actually like a lot better. And it's one that as we meet Jesus again, we get to know him, but as we get to know him, we get to know how he loves. And this love story is from John chapter 11. It's on your notes. We're gonna read it here in a minute. Here's the context of this story. Kind of give you some background before we read it together. Jesus has just escaped an ambush. You get that at the final verses of John chapter 10. And he's gone into hiding. And by the way, John, or Jesus was not ill-informed of his impending death. I mean, he knew his purpose, but he also knew that his time to die hadn't, hadn't yet come. And in fact, that thread of information runs pretty clearly through the gospel of John. It's in John 2, and it's in John 7, it's in John 8, and it's in John 17. Now, I'm telling you all that here, just a couple of sentences of background, because that nugget of information is actually important as to how the rest of this love story plays out. So, at the end of chapter 10, as soon as Jesus goes into hiding, he learns that his friend Lazarus is deathly ill. Let's read this together. Here's how John tells this love story. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister, Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother, Lazarus, was ill. So the sisters sent to him, to Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Now, in those five verses, it's really hard to overlook the emotion of Jesus here. I mean, we find it in the mention of Jesus's anointing by Mary. We see it in how Lazarus is described. He's described as the one whom Jesus loved. And John mentioned that Jesus also loved Martha. So we learn all of this in a matter of just five verses that this family loved Jesus and that Jesus loved this family. These things are not surprising to us. They're all kind of spelled out to here. But what I think might be surprising is the expression of Jesus's love to this family. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna read this again, but we're gonna go one extra verse through verse six. We'll start back at the beginning. John chapter 11, verse one. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha, It was Martha who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to Jesus saying, Lord, the one whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It's for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister And Lazarus. So here's the next verse in the extra verse, verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now, let's kind of do a little recap. Jesus learned of his friend's sickness. It's a desperate sickness that caused his sisters to send a message to Jesus of Lazarus' certain death from this illness, And we assume that the expression of Jesus's love for his friend would be to hastily return to Judea, drop everything and run to Judea and heal Lazarus. But that's not what he did. And it's right here that we learn the first thing about how Jesus loves and it's this, Jesus waited. Jesus waited. He loved this family so much that he waited. I think it's important right here to talk about what it means for God to wait. I want to show you a couple of passages here. You can write these down. We're not going to read them. John chapter 1, verse 2, and Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. I encourage you to write these down. Look them up a little bit later. John wrote of Jesus in in John chapter 1, verse 2, that through Jesus, all things were made. And Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, that all all things were created by Jesus and for Jesus. Massive, massive statements in Scripture. Massive. They don't get bigger than those two. So for the sake of this conversation, you can insert any object into those statements and make it make sense, right? So let's let's just do this. Humanity, people. Humanity was made for Jesus and by Jesus. Or the earth, right? The earth was made by Jesus and for Jesus, right? It's all things, so let's just keep going. Emotions were made by Jesus and for Jesus. Anything, you can stick anything in there. But for the, the sake of this specific conversation, we have to insert something else. We have to insert time, time. Time was made by Jesus and for Jesus. So the one who exists outside of time subjected himself to the very thing he had made. Subjected himself to time to be just like Mary and Martha and Lazarus and me and you. So he could wait with them. So as the seconds became minutes, became hours, became days, Jesus waited. He waited. Those of us who have been in emergency situations know the pain of waiting. We understand it. Treatments aren't always given in time. We can't get to medical care as quickly as we want. We've been disappointed in outcomes that occurred while we waited. We know this. So, this truth here in John chapter 11 seems so foreign and frustrating to us. And maybe even just a little offensive that Jesus waited, that the one who could bend, to, who created time, who could bend it or stop it or use time for his advantage, did none of those things. Instead, he waited, and he did it on purpose. He did it on purpose. I'll show you, let's read this again. This is where we find this, this is from verses five and six. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. This is how we know he did this on purpose. It's the first word. In verse 6, it's the word, so. He loved them, so he waited. That's a big word right there. How does this make any sense, though? let's, Let's further dissect this story a little bit. A lot of moving parts in John 11. A lot of things we have to talk about. The biggest of which is that for Jesus to return... Remember I shared with you that little nugget of information for him to return to Judea would be to walk back into hostile territory. He was just chased out of Judea. It's the very place from which he just escaped. So for him to go back is really quite dangerous for him. The clock, it's, it's ticking on his impending crucifixion and everything was planned accordingly. His death was planned accordingly and he had to be faithful to that plan first. That's the first thing happening. Second thing happening here is this: that the disciples with Jesus, you can read this a few verses later. They didn't want to return to Judea at all. They didn't even want to go. They were so afraid of this. They actually questioned when Jesus did return. They questioned his decision because they believe that if they went, they're, they're going to be in danger. So they don't want to go. If they all return, this, the third thing happening here is obviously the illness of his friend Lazarus. Jesus knew something that traversed the distance between him and this family. Jesus knew that Lazarus would die. He knew it. In fact, a little, little while later in John chapter 11, verse 14, it, it almost appears that Jesus actually knew the moment he died. He knew the very moment, and he said as much to his disciples. So that's the third thing happening. And the fourth thing happening here is this, that Jesus could have healed Lazarus. We know that. He could have done it had he wanted to. In fact, we actually know that Jesus could heal people across great distances. In fact, he did this in John chapter 4, seven chapters earlier. He didn't have to go to Judea if he didn't want to. He could have just thought it and Lazarus would have been healed. Had he wanted to heal Lazarus, he could have done so in any number of ways. So all these moving parts, all these pieces... Feed into the tension of this story. They feed into the tension of Jesus purposefully waiting. Jesus knowing of his impending death. Jesus knowing his disciples were too afraid to go. Jesus knowing of Lazarus' certain death. And then Jesus refusing to even heal him. All of these things are happening during the waiting. And this is how Jesus loves his family, loves this family. But why? Why does he love them this way? Well, eventually, Jesus did arrive in Judea. And when he did, he had a conversation with Martha. Who actually told Jesus in a, in a pretty passive-aggressive manner that if he'd only arrived just a little earlier, he could have prevented Lazarus' death just, just a little bit earlier. And then, as if she's resigned to the death of her brother and the disappointment of her friend, she told Jesus that she knows Lazarus is going to be resurrected at the end of time. And it's at this moment we, we learn why Jesus loves this way. He speaks into her frustration when the reason for his waiting becomes apparent. So I want to read this. This is from the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. Look at this. Jesus said to her, you know this passage, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Let me translate this for you. Jesus said, you got to be ready for this one. Jesus said this to Martha. You don't need Lazarus. You don't need Lazarus. You need me. You need me. You don't need your brother restored to life to feel whole because I'm here. I am the life. With me, Martha, every need that you have is completely satisfied. And Martha responded the only way that she could. She said, you are the Christ. You are the anointed one. You are the son of God. Jesus loved by waiting. Because in that waiting, Martha learned that she needed Jesus more than she needed Jesus. Lazarus. What Jesus does here is he circumvents the system of her expectations. Martha expected Jesus to risk his life to heal her brother. Jesus wouldn't do it. He stayed put. He waited because love moved Jesus to let Lazarus die, to show us that this is how we learn who Jesus is. We meet Jesus in this moment. This is when we learn that Jesus is the resurrection, that Jesus is the life, that he's our beloved, that that he is the very love of God, that Jesus is infinitely more valuable to us than anyone or anything. And by waiting, he shows us this. This is when we learn. But this is all so very past tense, so very past tense. It might surprise you to learn that this is how Jesus still loves, present tense. Okay, look, because we, we're waiting. We're waiting for a lot of things. We're waiting for the return of Jesus, for the consummation of his kingdom, for the complete exercise of his rule. We wait, and right now, we are being taught to wait in hopeful, God-glorifying anticipation that every enemy will, will be subdued, and so does Jesus. Because right here is where we learn that Jesus not only waited, but Jesus waits. That's how he still loves. I'm gonna show you this. I want you to listen to the words of the writer of the New Testament book of Hebrews. I'm gonna read to you three verses. It's from chapter 10, verses 12 through 14. I really encourage you to write these down. These are good. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 12 through 14. But when Jesus, our priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, you ready? He waits. He waits for his enemies to be made his footstool because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy I want want you to catch this, right? The one who exists outside of time, who is right now outside of time in eternity, sitting at the right hand of God, somehow miraculously is still subjecting himself to time. Blows my mind. I don't know how that even works. He lives in eternity. He's still subjecting himself to time, just like you and just like me. He's still doing it. And the truth of this moment is that while he's doing it, he's waiting with us. And the truth of this is that as as you wait for pain to end, for death to be defeated in your family, for reconciliation to finally happen, for sin to cease its lure, for the constant battle of anxiety to stop while we're waiting for all these things, here's the truth of the gospel. Jesus is waiting with you. He's waiting with us. And in this waiting, he is showing us that we need him more than we need false hope. That we need him more than we need our own expectations. More than we need our own selfish desires. Because Jesus is the resurrection. Jesus is the life. And Oh, I wish that we would know that today. Rest assured, though, that though all of these enemies have yet to be defeated, their end is coming, and it will be swift. But while we wait for that to happen, I want you to know that you don't wait alone. You don't wait alone.